five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing on this Tuesday morning? Uh, Alabama's going to the Sweet 16. Spring practice officially got underway yesterday. You know, we're, we're 24 hours in and there's already controversy. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's amazing how, how that happens, but a lot going on. I mean, really on every front. I mean, pro days on Thursday. So you've got the NFL draft side of things. You've got the current team with spring practice. You've got the basketball team, baseball and softball are in full swing. This is the offseason for football, but I, I would actually argue that this is busier than it is if you're slap dab in the middle of football season. Well, we have to remember that uh, football, uh, every everything's consumed by football. When football's going on, uh, you don't have – I mean, basketball starts, but late in the year and, and people aren't paying quite as much attention. And of course, there's no baseball or softball. There's a uh, volleyball, uh, you know, which isn't uh, and soccer, which, which aren't quite yet as popular as they should be maybe on, on campus. But uh, no, this time of the year, it is crazy busy with a lot of sports that a lot of people are interested in. I, I'm really happy about about spring practice starting. Uh, you know, I've looked through the photos. We've watched the video that was put out by Alabama from the first practice. And I'm eager to discuss that with you today. And then I'm going to watch the video probably 10 more times uh, and, and and talk about it a lot on the uh, Talk of Champions uh, message board. It's amazing how much we have to analyze um, photos. We got yeah. people on Twitter saying, hey, if, if you squint really hard, you can see Jalen Milrose, the one taking the snap at court. Like, this is right. what being given just photos and, you know, a three-minute video will do. People are going to overanalyze it. We're going to overanalyze right. it. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're not going to come up with a, a bunch of ridiculous observations, uh, but we did learn some stuff, and we're going to get into that today. And we'll go ahead and, and start with that, actually. Um, you know, there's a lot of probably bigger topics, but we'll get to those here in just a little bit. But the assumption all along has been J.C. Latham, due to his experience, is probably going to kick from right tackle to left tackle. Well, at least yesterday, it was Elijah Pritchett at left tackle. It was J.C. Latham continuing to man his right tackle position. And then you also had Darian Dalcourt, who had, has a lot of, of starts in his career at center. He's playing left guard with Seth McLaughlin being the center. So it's uh, it's a very different uh, lineup than a lot of us were anticipating. Now, granted, we, we brought this up. I brought this up last week. I mean, I talked about the possibility of one of the two centers playing guard. I talked about the possibility of, of them choosing to leave J.C. Latham at right tackle. If that happened, we said that Elijah Pritchett is the ideal candidate or the top candidate to play left tackle. And then we saw that video of him taking a rep at left tackle, you know, during some of the offseason stuff that they've been doing. So then you start entertaining, okay, maybe they will leave him on the left side. That's where he played last year. Latham played right tackle last year. And with Alabama already, you're replacing your left tackle. You're replacing, you know, a guard. You're, I mean, a, a lot of different players are now gone from last year. You're actually replacing two guards. So if you can leave not only, you know, if, you, if you've got Latham coming back, leaving him at the same spot he's been at maybe helps some of the continuity that you're losing at a lot of the other positions. Exactly. Uh, I think people that listen to the show uh, aren't, aren't shocked at that, at that lineup. Well, we talked about, or talked about extensively on our show and on the board and other places that, 
that Dalcourt was was uh, certain to start out a starter uh, by by returning to the team. His starting experience is huge. Uh, if you've played center for for four years, you can definitely play guard. You know guard. If you if you know if you know guard, you don't necessarily know center. But if you know center, you do know guard. I think that's kind of how that works. Uh, plus, Dalcourt's very likely to have practiced at guard uh, in various practices over the last four years. Um, as far as Latham and Pritchett at tackle, I mean, my get, first of all, it's not set in stone. They, they didn't have to, you know, the lineup, they lined up yesterday by law. They don't have to line up that way against Middle Tennessee State in September. Uh, it's just not how true. they – It's locked in. How, how, it's done. <laughs> that's right. It's locked, yeah, they sent the lineup. It's like exchanging the lineup card at home plate before a baseball game. Uh, right. They had to exchange the lineup card with the Middle Tennessee coach yesterday. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm not – Look, a lot of people, whenever they project lineups, they uh, they assume a lot has changed since the last practice. And and to me, my first thought when I saw, okay, it's Pritchett on the left side and Latham on the right side, my first thought was this, Clint. Well, that's exactly the way they practiced the last time they practiced. <laughs> the, the very <laughs> last time they practiced, which w- would have been uh, – you know, the day before they play Kansas State, technically two days before, because the day before is just a walkthrough. But two days before they play Kansas State, they practiced. And on that day, Latham was the right tackle and Pritchett was at left tackle. Now, Pritchett was backing up. Pritchett wasn't a starter, but Pritchett was at left tackle. When he when he came back to the team after his pec muscle tear and, uh, and was healthy and playing, he played left tackle. And now it may not stick. They they may they may look at Latham at the left side. Who knows? Uh, and they may have looked at him yesterday. We only saw a five minute clip. Um, so it, it's not permanent. But let's say it does stick. I, I think it's a heck of a statement for Pritchett, right? I mean, Pritchett's not never started a game. He's played very little. He's going to be a fresh. He's a red shirt freshman. I mean, he, he's. I know that red shirt term has basically been flushed by so many people, but it it does still exist. (laughs) He is a red shirt freshman. And I don't know in my mind, he's almost like a true freshman with how little he's been out there. Uh, I think it's incredible that Wolford coach Wolford and Tommy Reese and Nick Saban would have that level of confidence in this kid that not only, okay, Elijah, we know you've barely been out here, but you're a starter. And we're going to put you on the left side, protecting our young quarterback's blind side. You know, me and you have been hyping Pritchett for a long time. Uh, I, I sort of overranked him on my ranking list of the best players on the roster uh, because I, I, I knew from inside the program that they were sky high on Elijah Pritchett. But still, <laughs> it's a heck of a thing, you know. Uh, so that that's what stands out to me is, wow, that confidence in Elijah Pritchett and uh, and and – I think it's fair to call Dalcourt a place. If someone out there is like Dalcourt's the left guard until Proctor's ready, that's somewhat my opinion. Somewhat, I I I somewhat agree with that, but I don't look at it like placeholder. I, I look at it like Darren Dalcourt is the starting left guard at Alabama until someone beats him out, and that might happen or it might not. So we'll see. Well, we we've talked a lot about the importance of Darren Dalcourt coming back. I mean, just because of what you would be able to get out of the transfer portal, especially at this point with what you're trying to to do as far as giving some of those young guys an opportunity to earn a starting job. 
you wouldn't have found anybody even close that was willing to come to Alabama that was even remotely the same caliber as Darian Dalcourt. And so I think that's, you know, really big. But at the same time, people act like, hey, he he wanted to come back just because he wanted to, you know, th- this isn't a, to me, it's not a Chris Owens situation. It's not a Kendall Randolph situation. It's more of Darian Dalcourt. I mean, think about it. Tanner Bowles is at Kentucky and he's going to be competing for a starting job with at a very respectable SEC program right now. How how highly sought after do you think Darian Dalcourt would have been in the transfer portal? He would have been one of the top players available, period. And with yeah. everybody needing offensive linemen, I mean, Damian George, who could not even come, he, he, he played a little bit at Alabama. He didn't do well at all. He fell behind a lot of other players. He was buried on the depth chart. He's getting courted by Auburn and Florida and all these programs. Who do you think would have went after Darian Dalcourt? So my point here is that he would have had options. If you're Alabama and you really desperately need him to stay, your pitch can't be, hey, come be the backup to Seth McLaughlin at center. And it certainly can't right. be on the first day of, of, of spring practice. Hey, we know we've talked you into not entering the transfer portal, um, but we're going to put you as the backup, you know, left guard, backup center. Um, anybody that we should have expected this is my point, you know, and we kind of did. And we did. Yes, but at the same time, it's like you got to actually let it play itself out and see how it goes. But the center has to be responsible for snapping the football. He's got to be responsible for making the calls with the offensive line or relaying the calls. And he's got to be responsible for getting his guy blocked. That's a lot of responsibility. So, you know, just because Darian Dalcourt hadn't lived up to the hype in a lot of people's minds, I, I, the, the coaching staff has remained high on him. I mean, they've been high on him since he arrived on campus. I mean, he was creating buzz as a true freshman. It took him a few years to actually get on the field. But once he did, I mean, he won the starting center job last year. He won the starting gender, uh, the starting center job the year before that. McLaughlin really only came in after injuries started plaguing, you know, Dow Court. And I think that McLaughlin played well. Do I think he was elite or great? No, but I think he was very good. I think he was serviceable, has some issues that he's got to clean up, but so does everybody else. Um, but, you know, with Dow Court, it's like this shouldn't have come as a shock to anybody, Jimmy. No, and I think one more thing that's notable is that Seth is the center and not Dowcourt, or at least right now. Uh, and, and I think that's notable because they were gonna, one of them was going to move to guard. I think the fact that Darian moved to guard is sort of an announcement that Seth has won the center job. And what's notable is that Darian has beat him out in the past. I mean, on at least two different occasions, Darian Dowcourt has beaten out Seth to be the starting center. But now it appears that Seth is... Uh, I don't. I won't say cemented because things could change, but it looks like Seth is the starting center, and I think that's notable because uh, it's a first. It's a first in terms of starting the season out that way. It's a first in terms of being ahead of Darian Dalcourt. Uh, but Darian at guard, uh, it, it certainly isn't a surprise. It makes all the sense in the world. Exactly what you said about how valuable he would have been out of the portal. Let's remember too, unlike Tanner Bowles, unlike Damian George who are both competing to start at SEC schools right now. Uh, Dalcourt has been a staff player of the week. Not those guys. Those guys weren't even in the lineup. Dalcourt's not only in the lineup. He's been a staff player of the week. I think off the top of my head, he's got about 18 starts. He also has – now, I don't put a ton of stock in these things, Clint. I put a mild amount of stock in them. But he has excellent PFF grades, too, when he's played – and PFF, you know, grades all the linemen, you know, at Alabama. Dalcourt's grades have 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 
really been pretty solid, frankly, even better than some of these other linemen that, that Alabama fans are convinced are really good players like Latham, you know? Uh, so Dalcourt may be the left guard to stay. I, I won't be stunned. Now I'm rooting for someone like Caden Proctor to get into the lineup, but that's because I perceive, and, and it doesn't matter that I perceive, it only matters how Nick Saban and, and coach Wolford perceive, but I perceive Proctor as an incredibly high upside lineman that might be ready quickly. That's how I perceive him. And for that reason, you know, I, I'm hopeful that Caden Proctor at some point gets in the starting lineup. And I think Dalcourt is the most vulnerable of the current five starters to lose out to someone like a, like a Proctor. But if Dalcourt's a starting left guard versus middle Tennessee and stays there all season long, uh, I, I won't be stunned. I, I'll say I'll be uh, mildly surprised, but, but not stunned. When I look at the two centers, I think Seth McLaughlin is a much better communicator. You know, when you when you have that responsibility, you got to relay the calls to the offensive line and make sure everybody's working, you know, in unison. I think McLaughlin is stronger in that area. When it comes to blocking in space, you know, on pulls and things like that, I think McLaughlin is better. When it comes to between the tackles, hammering the football, um, and you got to work up to the second level and get guys moved, I think Darian Dalcourt's the better player. So it, it's different strengths. And granted, you know, you would think, okay, if, if McLaughlin is the better blocker in space, you know, guards are doing a lot of pulling, should he be playing guard? But then you take away his communication skills, which I think is by far his biggest asset. And so it makes sense how they have things currently structured. You still got Terrence Ferguson. You still got Jaden Roberts. You got Caden Proctor. They've got so many different options that it could be. And this is day one of spring practice. But I don't know, you know, Terrence Ferguson would have made sense. But really, Darian Dalcourt makes so much more sense than anybody else. So no one should be shocked. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if we exited the spring with this being the lineup, and then you get into the summer, you get into fall camp, and if Caden Proctor's at that point is ready to start making his move, okay. Um, but, you know, Nick Saban is just like the quarterback battle. You know, if he tries to name one of these two guys, the quarterback right now, the other guy's transferring probably. So what, what benefit does that serve Alabama? What benefit does it serve Nick Saban to make that call now? It's the same situation. You know, why would you go ahead and put Darian Dalcourt as your second team somewhere? Because then he's going to figure out, I'm not going to be a part of this starting lineup. I need to go elsewhere. So it just, it, I mean, and, and that's, it's unfortunate because you would hope that, you know, you're going to be up front with these players. And I think Nick Saban is. I think Darian Dalcourt is going to be given every opportunity to be a starter. He's been a starter. He's got experience. And I think he can play guard. I think he would do fine. He is not Chris Owens and he's not Kenan Randolph. Stop making that comparison. If he ends up being in the starting lineup, he is not going to be a liability in those, in those, the, the same way that those guys were. And that's just, that's period. He's been a good player. He's had some issues, but I think if you take away the fact that he's got to com- do all the communicating, you take away the fact that he's got to snap the football, and you just put getting your guy that's in front of you blocked, I think that can help him. He's a good run blocker, and he's, you know, pass protection has been a little bit of an issue, but, you know, I, I think that it's it's a it's a fine decision. And then on the the J.C. Latham and, and Elijah Pritchett side, 6'6", 235, 6'6", which one sounds like a right tackle and which one sounds like a left tackle. Right. Right. No, I mean, that's, that's a great point. And, yeah, and I mean, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and, and Latham, Latham has great feet and I think Latham has left tackle ability, but so far the trait that has stood out to me the most about Latham, like 
what's really impressed me, like, wow, this guy's going to be so good, or he's good now, he's going to be great, is his ability to move people in the run game. I mean, that that's that's like what stood out. And if you move him to left tackle, it's not that that's not a helpful trait. It's just that what Latham does, what I think best, is run block tackle, which is not a common trait for tackles that, that, that can do it at an elite level. But I think that's why Latham will be a first-round pick because he has pass protection feet. But he's got to continue to improve there. I mean, I think that's where his improvement. Maybe Elijah is just a total natural. And uh, to get back one more point on the, the Owens-Randolph-Dalcourt thing, I, I couldn't agree more with this. You know, you look at a- Alabama's peers, Alabama's peer group. What I mean by that is who in college football puts a lineup on the field similar to Alabama? Well, Georgia, maybe LSU, uh, Clemson, Ohio State. Uh, looks like Texas is getting there. USC is getting there. That, that sort of Oklahoma, maybe, just well, except for their fall off this past year. But my point is, I think, and, and some of people that listen to the show can disagree, and if, and if you do, that's fine. But I think Dalcourt would start at most of those programs. I mean, I, I think he's either a starter or a major contender to start uh, that, that, that would be very much in the picture. I think had Dalcourt entered the portal, it would have been Alabama's peer programs interested in him. It's not Mississippi State, Ole Miss, South Carolina, and, but, and Houston and Memphis. I, I no, honestly no. believe week two probably would have been you're playing Darian Dalcourt. I mean, I, I think Texas yeah, would yes. go hard after him if, uh, yes. if he were to enter the transfer portal. I couldn't agree more. Or if not, you know, you're playing LSU, Auburn. I mean, if if they knew him, you know, obviously Texas knows him because Kyle Flood probably recruited him and certainly coached him. Uh, But that's what level Dalcourt's at. Now, some people listen will disagree. That's fine. But that's 100% what I believe and and, and what Clint believes. Uh, Dalcourt's not. While, While this feels to some fans like Chris Owens, like Kendall Randolph, Hey, I would also point out that those guys did did provide Alabama with uh, major assistance. Now, they didn't play their position like an all-star. I'm not saying that. But they were out there for a reason. They were out there in the starting lineup for a reason. They were needed. Now, maybe as placeholders, maybe as bridges to the next guy. But uh, I, I don't compare Dalcourt. Uh, I, I think Dalcourt's more of a uh, – uh, a quality starter at a high quality program. And uh, will he play in the NFL? I, I don't know. I mean, probably, you know, may, may, he's certainly going to get a shot. He'll get a shot. You know, uh, I, I don't know that those others really did. So uh, overall, I'm pleased with the five, uh, in part because I share the coach's confidence in Elijah Pritchett. I'm a believer. Uh, I don't think he'll be a liability even year one. I think he'll be an, a positive asset. Obviously, a kid's going to get better and better the more he plays. But I think the five Alabama put out there has the makings of a uh, good or a better than good offensive line. And it could really get next level if guys like Caden Proctor, like TJ Ferguson, like even Wilkham Formby, if guys like them are so good this spring and fall. You know, like last year, Tyler Booker, Clint, I was bragging about him in my ranking countdown, that Tyler Booker did this. Nick Saban has coached the offensive line one way for 16 years. No substitutions. The first team's the first team. 
Tyler Booker was so good as a true freshman. Nick Saban changed what he did, and he'd been doing it one way for 16 years. He changed it because Booker made them change it. Booker was like, he's too good not to play. We've got to find a spot. We've got to make room. We've got to get him on the field. He's too good to sit there. The message that Tyler Booker sent to the offensive line one year ago needs to be heard today with guys like Proctor, with guys like TJ Ferguson, with guys like Wilkin Formby. Prove to the staff that you're too good to sit on the sideline. I'm too good to, to, to be a backup. I should be starting right now. I should be with the ones. And if, if, if just one of those three guys can push Dalcourt, can push Pritchett, can uh, provide that level of competition, uh, that's when we'll move from a pretty good group to maybe a great group. Absolutely. And I don't see, you know, I think anybody that remembers, I was very defensive of Kendall Randolph last year. You know, I made the arguments that, hey, Alabama knows what they're getting with him. You know, and the highs might not be as high as some, but the lows might not be as low as, as those same other guys. And maybe they want more of a known commodity and knowing what you're getting and knowing how you need to work around it than, you know, going with a younger guy. Here's the thing, though. Once we got into the season and we started watching them on the field, it became very apparent that Ken Randolph did not need to be playing guard. You know, and, and it was whether it be Javian Cohen, whether it be Tyler Booker, it's like you, you got to figure out a solution here because because no offense to him, but just Ken Randolph, great third blocking tight end, really in some ways a number two tight end, but kind of a jumbo blocker playing out on the perimeter was very valuable. Having him inside trying to handle power, it just it wasn't it was never going to work. My point in saying that is to say once we start getting into fall camp, you know summer fall camp and all those things, and you're able to actually watch. Darian Dalcourt at left guard. And then you got MTSU in win week one. It's not like it's a top 10 opponent or a top 25 opponent. And I'm not trying to take a shot at the I'm, I'm MTSU at all. But, you know, you, you get to watch them in a live game situation. And I don't think it'll be detrimental if Darian Dalcourt doesn't play great. Like, I don't think it's going to cause Alabama to get upset or something like that. But if you're struggling at that point and you see maybe you're seeing a little bit of Caden Proctor and you're liking what you're seeing from him, or even if you haven't really seen anybody else, you just know, okay, with where they're currently at at this spot, a change need they need to figure something out. It needs to get addressed. Then I'll start arguing that side of it. But anytime that you're in these early process the early uh, stages of the process, I really try to get into Nick Saban's shoes and figure out what the logic here is. And the logic makes sense to me. And and it's like I said, I mean, I'm very what's wild is that if Darian Dalcourt would have been the same player at Georgia and he would have entered the transfer portal and Alabama would have went and got him, fans would be excited about him. Yep. I mean, it's just because they've seen him yep. in an Alabama uniform and he's not performed up to their – but it, he would be one of the most highly sought-after offensive linemen in the portal should he enter. And if Alabama went out and signed that guy and got that guy – it didn't, you know, the fact that he's got some starts, you know, Tresman Marshall wouldn't, he isn't blowing any Alabama fans away or anything, but I think fans would be very excited to see what Darian Dalcourt could do in an Alabama uniform. So they already got that guy. They didn't have to go make the pitch out of the transfer portal. Uh, he's already familiar with the system. There's just so many positive reasons why he's still on this roster and why he's competing for a job. And I don't see anything wrong with that. Speaking of guys who can maybe take advantage of their opportunities, because, you know, there's, there are some players who are out right now. Deontay Lawson, Dallas Turner. I think Saban said both of those two guys will not be participating in the spring. Uh, we did see the, both of them in a black non-contact jersey yesterday right. um, in one of the photos, but he says that they're out. They're not going to be 
really doing anything. I saw where PC3 on the Talk of Champions message boards, he asked the question, who's the biggest beneficiary of Lawson being out this spring? Jimmy, what would your answer be? Um, I mean, if, if we have to narrow it down to one, I would say Trez Marshall, uh, you know, number, number one, uh, although I think Marshall might have started anyway <laughs> alongside Lawson. But there's no question that with Lawson out, what you really need at that spot now is an older experienced kid. I mean, we, now it's gone from a luxury having another older experienced kid like Marshall to a must because, you know, we stuck two really young guys out there inside linebacker in 2019 and it was semi-disastrous when you had two true freshmen at inside linebacker. and That wouldn't be the case this fall at Alabama. But my point is, I think Marshall now goes from probable probable first team guy to almost certain first team guy. And secondly, you know, alongside Marshall, I, I think Justin Jefferson, again, another older guy, another older presence, a m- more mature kid, theoretically, of course, we don't know him, but, but theoretically a more, an older, more mature kid. I, I think those two can sort of, uh, you know, can sort of manage better than these young guys. And, and I, I think by the time the first scrimmage gets here, which is two weeks away, by the time the first scrimmage gets here, I suspect that the, the two ones at that point might be Marshall and Justin Jefferson. Although right now, today, or, you know, after practice number one and practice number two, it's probably guys that have been on the practice field before Kendrick Blackshire, uh, Sean mm-hmm. Murphy, Jahad yeah. Campbell, because they've started with the ones or they've, they've played, you know, at Alabama. I mean, yesterday was the very first practice for Trez and Justin Jefferson. But but my answer to PC3's great question is uh, I think Trez benefits the most because, in my mind, he's next man up uh, inside, and Justin Jefferson w- w- would kind of be a 1B, not so much a second answer, so much as 1A and 1B with those two guys. I completely agree with your two players, and I think we pretty much have the same reasoning. I would just put it in a very slightly different way. You know, I think Tresman Marshall, from a veteran leadership, field general perspective, this gives him a lot of opportunities, right? I mean, a lot of people have, have assumed that Deontay Lawson's going to be moving from Will to Mike and taking over those kind of play calling or play relaying, I guess is the way to put it, uh, responsibilities and being the field general on defense. So a lot of people have thought, that Lawson was going to be that guy. Now, that is one negative to this whole situation, is this was going to be Deontay Lawson's opportunity, his first spring, to go through as the full-time starter. Uh, I think that would have been very beneficial for him and allowing him to go ahead and start getting comfortable if that is what they want to do with him, which is move him into the kind of that field general role. I think him having the spring to be able to kind of adjust to that would have been very beneficial. So it's unfortunate that he's out. Um, and he can maybe do some of that, uh, maybe stand out there and kind of yeah, make calls and, and things like that and not really have to move around too much or do too much. Um, I mean, he's in a black non-contact jersey, so maybe they're getting him some experience on that front, even with him being out. Um, but from Tresman Marshall's perspective and just the the veteran presence and, and the leadership qualities that he was expected to bring in coming over from Georgia, you know, he kind of will get to be that guy because I don't think they really have anybody else that that is established in that role like a Tresman Marshall. And so that presents opportunities from the Will linebacker role perspective. Uh, if they would have left Deontay Lawson there, 
you want to make sure you have that athlete that can get sideline to sideline and do a lot of different things for you. Deontay Lawson provides a lot of that. I think this that's where this benefits Justin Jefferson the most because I think he provides a lot of those same qualities as well. And so I think that, you know, anytime a guy's out, a lot of these younger players are going to get opportunities. But I think Justin Jefferson and what he can bring to the table from a skill set standpoint can kind of replace what Deontay Lawson brings to the table. So that's where I think it could benefit him. Another question mark, you know, regarding Dallas Turner, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Uh, interesting video clip yesterday with uh, Dallas Turner being out. We saw a clip of Chris Braswell working with the first team, and it looked like Quay Russo was right behind him. Um, I don't know if he was technically supposed to be like on the field as a a player, or was it just going through the motions behind Chris Braswell to kind of get an idea? Was it more, you know, second team? But a lot of people like have wondered about that. Yeah, exactly. That's what it felt like to me. But I did want to get your your take on that because a lot of people have thought maybe he'll play off ball inside linebacker. Ever since I saw his size at 6'2, 242, you know, that the and I'd already heard, we had already heard that he was wanting to start off at outside linebacker. So that's kind of where I was already starting to gear towards. But then once I saw the size, I'm like, uh, we haven't really seen a 240 plus pound linebacker in, in the last couple of years at Alabama. So that points more to outside linebacker. But what were your thoughts on? You know, Russo getting some of that action. Well, uh, you know, one, one thing about where we could use him isn't quite as important to Nick Saban as where they want to play. Nick Saban sort of famously gets asked this sometimes, and and that's his answer every time is, you know, I, I prefer to play kids where they want to play because I feel like I'm going to get better effort out of them as opposed to if, if I make them play another position – and, and, and they're sort of told they have to do this and it's not what they want to do because <laughs> I, what I really need is 110% effort. Uh, so I, I think Quay has a, uh, a preference to play outside. That's one thing. Secondly, you bring up a great point about the size. Uh, he seems more built like a Jeremiah Alexander type. I mean, in terms of how he's built and Jeremiah's been outside since he's been at Alabama and we haven't really had a 250 pound inside guy. That That, that spot has really become almost like a safety. I mean, you're, you're almost playing safeties there now in terms of pass coverage responsibility and dropping and covering tight ends and backs. And, and that, that position's gotten so pass coverage. You know, teams pass it more than 50% of snaps now. I mean, that's why football's changed. I mean, now on more than 50% of snaps, the other team throws the ball. So you better have defenders out there who can defend against the pass uh, because that's what the other team's going to do most of the time. So I, I think Quay is outside and I, I think he's likely to stick out there. Now it, the problem is just, if you want to call it a problem is Alabama's got incredible depth, you know, outside right now between of course, Dallas is out and he'll be back. But even Chris Braswell is basically what amounts to a returning senior starter. So he's, he's pretty entrenched, uh, and then beyond him, not only do you have the really talented Quay Rousseau and the really talented Yonsei Pierre, uh, Jeremiah Alexander, Quandarius Robinson played snaps with the ones late last season. Uh, Keanu Coat is a guy they're still very high on. Uh, we haven't seen him yet because he's had some injury issues, but they're still very high on him. So it won't be easy to break into the lineup outside, Clint. Uh, and it wouldn't be easy to break into the lineup inside uh, while there's not returning starters there so much, especially with Lawson out, there is a lot of quality candidates to be starters. So 
Alabama's just got a real good depth situation at linebacker. Really what Rousseau needs to focus on right now, Clint, if I give him advice, I'm sure he listens to the show. He should. <laughs> uh, is, uh, hey, you know, you need to work on your body. You need to work on, on, on your body being ready to be an SEC athlete. That means shaving off the bad weight and, and then re-adding some good weight, uh, improving your strength, improving your quickness, and learn that playbook. I mean, learn the scheme, learn the playbook. Don't, don't just learn Jack. That that's the least expected of you is to know Jack. But you know, you, you, you want to get on the field, learn Sam too. Learn what the inside guys are doing. Don't be lost if they want you to take some reps inside. Don't be lost. I mean, learn it all. Uh and th that's really what the focus needs to be on. Not not I've got to start against Middle Tennessee State. One one more quick thing. Nick says this all the time. Nick says, GMs call me every spring asking about my players. And they're asking about my juniors and seniors that are in the NFL draft. And every now and then they ask me about a young player, but, but they're really asking about the juniors and seniors uh, that are in that draft. He goes, and you know what they never ask me? Did he start when he was a true freshman? They never ask that because they don't care. They only care what, what the finished product is, not what they look like day one and, and were they starting then. So Quay uh, with the crowded situation at linebacker would be doing himself a lot of good if he focused on, his his what he brings to the table physically in terms of size, speed, and quickness, and uh, and and knowledge of the playbook and scheme. Here's where I think that Quay can can help. You have two outside linebackers, but they kind of have different responsibilities. But at the same time, they're also very similar. Um, I don't think that switching a guy from Jack to Sam is like this huge you know adjustment. But with, with the way that Alabama has used Dallas Turner specifically. Uh, when you're running kind of more, if when you got more of the three, four principles and you're zone blitzing a lot and you're dropping your outside linebackers into coverage, a lot of the time that has been Dallas Turner. And it's a big reason, you know, uh, Chris Braswell balloons up to 255 because I think that they expect him to more so man the jack position. You know, he's going to be on the line of scrimmage a lot more, playing more like a true traditional, like four, three defensive end style of player. Dallas Turner, on the other hand, he only goes from 240 to 242. And I think that's because they want him to be a lot more flexible in, in how they use him. You know, last year they played him some of it uh, off-ball linebacker. Uh, they play him, you know, kind of in, in the apex, lined up between the slot receiver and the tackle where he's playing more in space. Uh, you don't need to be 255 pounds doing that kind of stuff. Uh, you'll get yourself in trouble. And so I think that the kind of responsibilities with Turner playing more of the, the Sam linebacker role, which you'll play some technically some – really I would probably say that if you don't have the jack on the field, your extra defensive lineman in your heavy is more of the jack linebacker. You're not going to be dropping him into coverage. So really doesn't matter if Dallas Turner's the lone outside linebacker on the field or he's one of two. He's going to be the guy that has a lot of that responsibility. But, you know, I think Quay, with his ability and his versatility to play off-ball linebacker, like he's going to be a lot more comfortable dropping into coverage and doing a lot of those same things that you would ask of Dallas Turner – I can't look at anybody else. Like, granted, Quandarius Robinson, he's got a little bit of that. A lot of people thought maybe he could play inside linebacker when he first got to Alabama. I always thought his length would prevent that. But, you know, some people thought that, that was a possibility. Keanu Coat is kind of a lighter guy, so you would think Sam. Uh, I think, you know, he plays more like a jack, in my opinion. So, you know, a guy like Russo, he can provide a lot of the things that Dallas Turner does. Where if something were to happen to Dallas Turner, I mean, he's obviously out right now. You want to be preparing a guy like Russo to step up and kind of man that job. Now, he was also lining up behind Chris Braswell in that video. So uh, it's not like it's going to be 
strictly Sam linebacker, but I'm just saying uh, Russo, his his path to getting on the field would definitely increase because I think he can do a lot of what Dallas Turner can do for your defense compared to some of these other guys. So that's just something to keep in mind. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about comments that were made by Nick Saban yesterday. So that that's going to be, I'm sure, a very fun fun topic of conversation. Uh, can't wait. But anyways, we appreciate you guys tuning in. This is the Bam on 3 Show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb. Welcome back. Jimmy, we're going to dive right back into this. So Nick Saban yesterday, first press conference of the spring, first time we had spoken to him in, in this capacity since his final press conference before the Sugar Bowl, which was, I think, on December 31st of last year. Got an uncharacteristic injury report, very extensive. We've already talked about Deontay Lawson and Dallas Turner being out. Uh, he mentioned Roydell Williams and Devontae Smith. Expected to be back at some point, but I think they're out currently. Uh, Robbie Oots, Jamarian Latham, Justin Aboigby, all those guys being limited. Kind of just gave us the complete rundown. And then he brought up Tony Mitchell, who was arrested uh, last week. I think everybody knows that by now. You know, he's been suspended from the team and, and all team-related activities, as Nick Saban put it. And as he's talking about Tony Mitchell, he makes a very interesting or he uses a very interesting phrase. He said there's no such thing as being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, why is this interesting? I think everybody knows because Nate Oates said Brandon Miller, you know, involving the what ended up being the shooting death of Jamia Harris, he made the statement that Brandon Miller was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Obviously, Nick Saban making this comment, a lot of people have, have taken it. They've connected the two, and they are saying that Nick Saban is taking a, a subtle shot at Nate Oates in the Alabama basketball program. Before I share my thoughts, let's let's get your reaction to that. What did you think when you first heard it? Do you know, have you changed your mind? What's going on as far as uh, your thoughts on it? It's funny you put it that way because that's exactly what happened. I mean, if I'm being uh, completely honest, which which I suppose we should, <laughs> I was I was watching uh, live. Uh, I was watching the press conference live. Uh, obviously, on my on my laptop wasn't there, but I was watching it live. And when those words fell out of Nick Saban's mouth, my immediate visceral take was that he had just taken a shot at Nate Oates. <laughs> and a shot at, at Alabama's athletic department in terms of how poor the messaging has been with the basketball and the missteps in handling the Miller situation, including that phrase that Nate Oates used that he had to walk back and literally apologize for. Uh, I, know, I know a lot of Alabama fans don't believe he should have, and they like that they think that phrase is applicable. Uh, Alabama's lawyers, Alabama's PR people, Alabama's athletic department did not think it was applicable or the right thing to use. That's why Nate had to walk it back and apologize. I do think what Nick Saban said, uh, it was a better use of, of that, that phrase. I'm even wondering in the meetings with Mitchell and his family, if that wasn't a phrase used that, that might have maybe set him off. I mean, that, that's one theory. But anyway, my point is, to get back to your question, uh, yes, my initial take was that was a shot. After... I digested it and thought through it and applied my thinking brain instead of just the visceral reaction. I, I, I think it was an accident. And by an accident, I mean, I don't think Nick Saban used, had any intent at all uh, to compare the issues or compare. Uh, it was just had nothing to do with Nate Oates and basketball. I think it was just Nick Saban uses those press conferences to talk to his team and to talk to Tony Mitchell 
and to talk to sometimes the fans. But I think that was Nick Saban talking to his team when he said there's no such thing as being in the right place, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's no such thing as that. That's him letting his players know that where you are and who you are with matters 24-7. That was the message. The message had nothing to do with Nate Oates. And I, that, that's what I fully, fully believe. I just admit it was my initial reaction. Same here, man. I mean, when you first hear it, and then, but then you start thinking about it. It's like, I mean, wrong place, wrong time. It's a commonly used phrase. Like, yeah. it's not like it was some specific quote that was used that we, like, it, it's a Nate Oates quote. It's like, yeah. oh, man, I've never heard this before. And then Nick Saban uses the exact same one, you know, to, to pretty much lean the opposite way. And here's the problem. I think some Alabama fans can get behind the fact that it wasn't intentional. They're still bothered by the fact that now there's, controversy or more controversy surrounding the Alabama basketball program as a result of something that Nick Saban said. I understand that. And I do think that it was uh given this the the situation and the circumstances, I do think it was not the time. I it, but it wasn't not intentional. It wasn't like he he knew what he was doing. He's like, I almost say this anyways. He just used something that I'm that we know that he's used before. Um I also can understand the other side of it too. So it's not like I, I lean one way or the other myself. It, it's a it's a difficult situation. Here's the thing, though. I don't understand how certain people right now are trying to assign intent, like he's purposefully going after Nate Oates in the in the basketball program. How does that serve Nick Saban, Jimmy? I don't understand it's, it. It's 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 nonsensical. It's, I mean, it's nonsensical. And I'm not sitting here saying that I have some sort of knowledge that. Nick Saban and Nate Oates are besties or, or, or that they have a lot of conversation far. I, I know nothing about that. I know nothing about their personal relationship. I just know how Nick Saban approaches his job, how Nick Saban approaches Alabama. Uh, I, I know of no reason whatsoever how Nick Saban would be served by taking a shot at Nate Oates or, or Alabama basketball. Uh, I, I think Nick Saban most likely feels Alabama football is being greatly aided by Alabama's basketball success. Uh, it, it's making Alabama a cool place to play basketball, which means it's a cool place for athletes to go to school. Uh, Nick Saban, I know this for a fact, Nick Saban has told Greg Byrne, who has relayed it publicly or in meetings that I've been at or speeches that I've been to, that it, Nick Saban feels it's very important that Alabama is very good in all the sports and that he's very supportive of all the sports and has even met with basketball recruits. Nick Saban went and sat in the front row at multiple basketball games this season, uh, even after the, the events that took place January 15th and then after the hearing on February 21st. Uh, Nick Saban is supportive of Alabama basketball, Nate Oates. That's, that's how he rolls. That's how his public acts have been. And, hey, it – if something can serve Nick Saban and something can serve Alabama football, he's going to do it. But this is not one of those things. It, it, it just wouldn't benefit him in any way to be at odds with Nate Oates, the athletic department, or Alabama basketball. He, it's far more likely he was rambling and said something dumb. For instance, I do that in virtually every podcast I've ever been in. <laughs> well, here's the thing. He made himself part of the story. Like by his comments, he is now inserted himself unintentionally 
right in the middle of this Brandon Miller, Alabama story, which by the way, is that when I say like all this controversy and all this stuff, this might seem like I'm leaning toward this being something that Brandon Miller did wrong or that Nate Oates did wrong. I'm saying that they're both being criticized heavily right now for decisions that they've made by a lot of people. Why would Nick Saban intentionally take himself and take the Alabama football program and drop it right in the middle of any sort of controversy? When has Nick Saban ever wanted to be the story? Like even when he, he there was intention behind what he did and said about Jimbo Fisher last off season that served a purpose and it made sense. Granted, he also claims that he didn't realize he was being filmed. He didn't realize it was going to get out. It was more of a pitch to boosters. And once it did come out, he's like, ah, you know, Deion Sanders was upset about it. Jimbo Fisher was calling him a cheater. And you have no idea what he's been doing behind the scenes. And he thinks he's God. You think Nick Saban wanted any of that? I mean, he tried to call Jimbo Fisher to smooth it over. So to think that he wants all this drama and all these people talking and all oh, man, is there, is there a riff happening between the, the basketball program and the football program? That's now the story. Nick Saban does not want that. And here's the thing. Anybody that's that's trying to make a claim that he is, this was an intentional shot at Nate Oates, always trying to distance himself from the Alabama basketball program and the way that they handle things is what everybody's trying to say or where a lot, what a lot of people are trying to say. Then why in the world would, after he's created the distance, would he put out essentially a statement through Chase Goodbread saying, that was not what I meant at all. Now he's uh, he said it, he's created the drama, and he's eliminated the distance that people are claiming that he was trying to create because he, he came out and said, that wasn't my intent. So now everybody's like, okay, so do you agree with how they're handling things? Like, none of this is good for Nick Saban. None of this is good for Alabama football. So any indication that he did this intentionally is one of the most, it's like I said, when I first heard it, I thought the same thing. I can't blame anybody for the initial reaction. Just think about it logically. And it's not a subtle shot. And it's not trying to distance himself because he's, he has supported the basketball program since by showing up at games and he apologized or he didn't apologize, but he made sure that it was put out by the athletic or the, the football program. That was not what he meant at all. Those two things are completely unrelated. And if he was trying to make a public separation between the two, he eliminated it by, by issuing that statement or having that statement issued. So it makes no sense. I, I just, I don't understand why we keep trying to create something. It's how the world works. I get it. But it's very frustrating because there's so much else going on right now that creating a rift that's really not there trying to create distractions, trying to get more clicks on your articles. A lot of people see this and they see dollar signs. Hey, I know this article would get clicked. Write it up, man. Doesn't matter if it's not truly what his heart was intending. It's going to help us make money. So is what it is. You shouldn't have said it. It's like I, I've never understood that approach. I mean, I understand it. I've never agreed with that approach. So that's that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, and I, I agree with all that. And it, again, I think that's the main takeaway here is that both of us had an initial visceral reaction that a lot of people out there continue to have that. But, but after I thought it through and after you thought it through, we realized that there was that that's logically not what happened here. The most likely explanation is that it was a choice of words that wasn't thought through. Uh, I do think it was a misstep. Sometimes missteps can be purposeful or missteps can be an accident. This was an accidental misstep. What's a little concerning is, and because I will be critical of Alabama at times, or football, basketball, I mean, that's part of our job. I'll, 
Alabama has made a lot for Alabama of PR missteps since yep. the Brandon Miller situation. And this is another one. This shouldn't have happened. This should not have happened. Uh, now, uh, I'm not an expert at, at crisis management. I'm not an expert. Frankly, no one's ever hired me to run PR for a gigantic, uh, powerful corporation like Alabama football and Alabama athletics. <laughs> no one's going to hire me to do that. So I'm not going to tell them how to do their job. I just know, I just recognize when the job's not being done. I mean, that that his statement should not have happened, whether it was on purpose, which we don't believe it was, or whether it was an accident, which we both believe it actually was an accident, it still shouldn't have happened. And it could have been prevented by better crisis management and everyone being on the same page. And that obviously didn't happen. Here, here's one more weird thing to say about that. You know, uh, I know those things don't have exact start times, but Nick was supposed to speak at six o'clock. Uh, it even said on the rolltide.com website uh, that the, it would start at 545. So I, I turned it on at 5.45, and then I knew to expect him at 6. He actually didn't get started about 6.12, 6.13, somewhere in there. So it was a long wait. I'm sure longer for people in the room. But uh, the thought occurred to me during that period of time is he must be back there with sports information and PR in the back going over all that has to be said. I, I remember having that thought that, like, Man, that 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 meeting back there that goes on with the with the people that, that we know it goes on with, boy, that sure is lasting a long time. <laughs> but maybe <laughs> I don't know. Now it looks like they didn't meet at all. You want to know how easy this sort of thing is? I mean, like I said, it's a very commonly used phrase, and it's like something that you you could have avoided. Just think about it. But but I can't sit here and hold Nick Saban to a different standard than I hold myself. I mean, I deleted a tweet recently. Someone asked me on Twitter if I was going to Louisville and they said, I should I get tickets? Like, are you confident in their ability to get through the sweet 16 into the elite eight? Cause if you are, then I'm going to, to go ahead and get tickets for Sunday for Sunday's game. And Hey, that's a lot of responsibility on me. Cause if I'm wrong, you're whether you would come at me or not, you're probably gonna be like, this is Clint's fault. Uh, I, I don't like that. But it, when I was responding, I was like, they're seven-point favorites or eight-point favorites or whatever it is. You know, I mean, anything can happen. It's the tournament. But, you know, I, I would feel pretty confident if I were you, I would go ahead and pull the trigger. And then I deleted the tweet, and I and I sent a DM to him being like, hey, just letting you know, because I said I made a joke with him at first saying it's bait for, for me to answer the question. I was like, I wasn't trying to delete it for anything that you said. Just I, I made the, the the statement, pull the trigger. And if anybody sees Alabama beat writer uses the phrase pull the trigger, Right now, that could be taken in a lot of different ways. Yesterday, I talked about Nick Saban on Twitter last night, putting himself in the crossfire of this whole controversy. And then I looked at the, and I ended up not deleting that tweet. But it's like there's a lot of references that can be taken the wrong way. And everybody, I've, I've I've written murdered several times since then and deleted before I hit send for that exact same reason. I don't want to be the Alabama guy using the term murdered when I'm talking about a sports like Alabama murdered Maryland. Right. Do not say that right now. I can't say that right That's now. That's how a guy because it'll, it'll look like I'm being insensitive. I'm using a sports term that people use as a sports term all the time. There's nothing evil about using the term. I'm not literally saying that Alabama murdered Maryland, but yes, we have to be careful even as beat writers with what we say because people 
see it as we're the Alabama guy. We're all part of it. We're and so I'm careful. Now I'll make some missteps, I'm sure, but I I'm have. careful with what I say for that reason. That's a great, great point you're making. If me and you have to be careful about how we phrase things right now, boy, when you're literally speaking for Alabama in that role right now, you are it, the it's face. a kid, it's a kid glove situation. And uh yeah, it was it was it was a misstep. And it's okay for me and you uh to to call it out and say, Coach, you're the greatest of all time, but that was a goof, man. I mean, if you're a UCLA beat writer and you talk about UCLA murdering somebody, no one blinks twice. Like no one it, it gets zero traction, zero attention. If you're if you're the the Princeton football coach and you make a statement, hey, you know, player gets in trouble, there's no such thing as being in the wrong place at the wrong time. No one connects NATOs to that. It's the fact that it was the Alabama football coach, which is the face of Alabama. He has been the face of Alabama for over a decade and a half, making that comment when you've got the basketball team who's doing extremely well. And it's like, this is why, as Nick Saban, you have to be careful. But for me to say, I can't believe you made that mistake when I've done not to that degree and not, I don't have, you know, I don't hold his, his power um, or his sway, but I I've, I've made the same mistake where it's like you say something, you're like, Ooh, you know, probably shouldn't have said it, said that, even though that's not what I'm thinking about, that that's completely unrelated. Someone can take that and twist it. And once you've twisted it, you know, uh, they, they, they can, and this happens uh, in the political realm. This happens in sports. This happens everywhere. So it, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, I get that basketball fans um, who are more, basketball fan the football fan are, are going to be upset with Nick Saban uh, I don't think it was the smartest uh, or wisest usage of that phrase or the, t the timing just wasn't right but people are also in assigning intent like he intentionally did it and you know some fans I've seen that on Twitter and it's like hey let's not do that because that's kind of what we're defending Brandon Miller for here like if people are attacking Brandon Miller, trying to assign an intent, assign intent. Mm -hmm. and, and we're defending him on that front saying, you don't know what was going through his mind. Like, sure. Under, yes. He brought a gun to a, a eventually what was going to be a crime scene, but you can't hold him responsible in the same way that you would if he intentionally did like that. That was his intent. You can't hold Nick Saban. You can't hold him responsible for something he did in my opinion, unintentionally, or you assume that he did it intentionally and now you're super pissed at him for it because he's jealous of the basketball program and he's just trying to, you know, assert his dominance and all these. It's just, it's, it's, I think a big issue. There are plenty of people that are running with this, you know, some of the national media that were very in on the Brandon Miller situation. They've been very quiet lately, by the way, ever since that article came out in the patch last week. Uh, but it's funny because as soon as Nick Saban said something about this, all those same people, all of them have now commented and brought it up. Some of them have been a lot more forward in their accusations as far as the intent. You know, Nick Saban was definitely doing this for this reason. This was definitely attack, an attack on Nate Oates. Others have been a little bit more reserved on, on making those claims. But a lot of the, the problem right now is that Alabama fans that are more football-leaning and more basketball-leaning are also bucking heads on Twitter and social media, and it's creating a lot of divide and controversy in itself because they can't get on the same page. People are attacking Nick Saban. If you're a big Alabama football fan, you're defending Nick Saban. If you're a big basketball fan, I can't believe you're creating this, you know, distraction right before the sweet 16. We got a good chance to make a final four run and maybe even go a little bit further. You've now screwed this up or you 
could potentially screw this up by making your comments. It's like it's creating divide. And it's like as, as Alabama fans, right now is the time that th- that side of things got to stick together. Like you can't be arguing amongst yourselves because, you right. know, yet again, intent. So, Jimmy, do you have anything else on that before we get out of here? I just I knew we had to cover it. But not, really, uh, not really. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's, it's a, Alabama needs to do a better job with how they're without uh, with, with the approach to uh, public statements uh, that can in any way relate to uh, the, the Brandon Miller situation. So uh, we'll see. Uh, I'm sure Coach Saban's going to speak uh, again following practice. Uh, coming up, I doubt, I don't, I don't know if that's already scheduled. I know they practice Wednesday, they practice Friday, uh, and then I think they don't practice again until next Tuesday. Not sure when the next time we'll see Coach Saban is. It'll be interesting to see if he brings this up or if this is uh, dropped, if this is just dropped. Well, I would say it depends on who's in the room. Uh, he might, I will say this, um, those same people who have been coming pretty hard at, at Nate Oates, Try that with Nick Saban and see how that goes for you. Uh, I wouldn't say that that's gonna that's gonna go too well. Uh, but like I said, it depends on who's in the room. I know that he's not. I looked at the schedule. Uh, he's not expected to speak until next week. We got players tomorrow. I didn't see anybody as far as speaking on on Friday. Makes sense. The game's going on or going to be going on and all that stuff. So I'm not shocked at all by that. But the next time I think is on either Tuesday or Wednesday. Tuesday, Tuesday of next week. So yeah, I guess it, next Tuesday. I mean, by that point, that's over a week. Maybe a lot of this stuff it's has been smoothed over, and it's the next news cycle. But we'll have to wait and see. All right, Jimmy. Um, anything else on any of this stuff? Not just this, but uh, I mean, and you you don't have to if, if we've covered everything that you wanted to cover. <laughs> we can go ahead and get out of here. But I also want to give you an opportunity if there's something we missed, spring related, uh, pro day, anything, just uh, anything that's on uh-huh. your mind. Uh, I would just uh, encourage everyone that's listening to check out the message board, the talk of champions. Uh, I'm going to uh, have a, a breakdown of the practice video. I mean, everybody's already seen it. it, it, it uh, I, I'm not going to shed new light, just some comments on, on what we saw at practice uh, and the team. It's my main focus right now. It's what I'm excited about is the team out there and talking about these guys and, and, and the upcoming season. And of course I'm excited about the basketball too. On, on Friday, uh, I'm going to have a good uh, – uh, I'm going to put together this other thing this week about Alabama's past performances in the Sweet 16. Uh, on the one hand, it's been pretty disappointing. Uh, my early research shows, Clint, in Sweet 16 games in history, Alabama is 1-8. and eight. It's either 1-8 and eight or 1-9. and nine. But uh, I'm going to uh, write up a little piece. It'll probably just be a message board post. But I'm going to talk about all nine games and uh, – and just kind of remind Alabama fans the history that Alabama will be making Friday with a win. Alabama's only won this game. Alabama's only won in the round of 16 one time in school history. Uh, so it's not just a, a fun Friday and could be an, an, a big win. It's It would be an historic win for Alabama, and I want to remind everyone of that. Great. I can't wait to read it, man. That That's going to be very interesting because I, I, I've seen a lot of it. I mean, I haven't seen as many as some, but – uh, there's been some heartbreaks in there as far as, you know, sweet 16 and stuff. And also if it ends up being Creighton at some point uh, in the elite eight, maybe um, we all know how that turned out as well. The last couple of really the only two times they've ever played uh, in it or blowing a big lead in the tournament. Um, but yeah. All right, Jimmy, I appreciate you hopping on here with me. I know we spent quite a bit of time 
today, but we're not going to be doing one on Thursday because I'm going to be traveling to Louisville. We were going to do something to kind of react to the the practice video and, and, and photos and just whatever we can get our hands on. But it's it's going to be a travel day for me, trying to get up there and try to get some media availability for the basketball program. So moving forward, Jimmy and I are going to try to do two of these a week, and we're also going to try to get a recruiting side of things as well. I don't know if that's going to be like a full-on recruiting episode or if it's going to be more you know, just a, a little segment on our shows. Like Jimmy and I will do something and then I'll bring Bone on or or Joseph and we'll kind of cover the, the recruiting side of things or wh- whatever. We're still trying to figure it out. Got some new things coming for you guys uh, down the pipe. So Jimmy, as always, I appreciate you hopping on here with me, brother. Oh, always fun. Can't wait to have a safe trip to Louisville. Uh, and next week we'll, uh, we'll do this twice. Absolutely, man. Looking forward to it. And if you haven't already, go subscribe to the bam on three show leave us a five-star review that certainly helps us with the boss as we're trying to jimmy and i are trying to do this as much as we possibly can time management is very important to not only us but our bosses so the more people we know that are listening and enjoying the podcast the more we can pitch to them and say hey this is worth our time so if you haven't already done that if you want to continue to hear us uh, on the bam on three show make sure you go subscribe leave us a five-star review do all that stuff that you possibly can and go sign up or or subscribe to uh, BamaInsider.com. You'll get access to the Talk Champions message boards, get access to Jimmy, does a phenomenal job on the message board over there. I'm on there as well. Bone, Hastings, the entire team, but also you get access to all the premium content. It's only $10 for the next four months. we got a deal going on during spring practice. It's not going to last all spring practice, though. It's only a very short period of time, so you need to take advantage right now and go uh, subscribe if you haven't already. Once again, this is the Bam on 3 Show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb.